0: Well, hello, my name is Taylor Brent. I am the student director here at The Bridge. I'm so excited to be with you today. Man, I've been in student ministry for over 11 years and it has been an incredible ride. It's been crazy, I've learned a lot of things, but I can tell you that nothing compares when it comes to students and teens, nothing compares to having your own. And I have my own. So I've been a dad now for four and a half years. And here's a picture of my boys. This is Hudson Taylor. He's my oldest. And he is, man, just full of energy and life. Our middle child, Kacen James, he tells everybody like it is. Um, He does does his own thing. He goes his own way. And then our two-month-old, yes, two-month-old, which means we have no sleep in our house. This is Dallin Scott. And we are so excited that he is here. Man, I can tell you, though, when it comes to parenting... The struggle is real. Two weeks ago, I had hair. Yeah, I had hair two weeks ago. Crazy story. I cut my kid's hair. It's just something I've always done. My dad cut my hair, so I cut my boy's hair. In the past four and a half years, I've never made a mistake. A Couple weeks ago, I was cutting Hudson's hair, and we both have these little calyx right here, and they need to be tamed. And so I tell Hudson, be still. I'm almost done, I promise, Bubba. I go in to clean them up. He sees my armpit, and my four-year-old lunges forward and goes, tickle, tickle, tickle. And that moment, I'm telling you, is the perfect cut right down the middle of his head. I couldn't stop there. I had to keep going, and so I had to shave off the rest of his hair. Well, he turned around, and as four-year-olds do, he saw himself, and he got really scared and really sad. He started to do that old child- lip quiver, you know, where it goes up and down and tears started to flow from his eyes. And so I did the only thing that I could do and the only thing that I could think of in that moment. I put the clippers in his hands. I said, Bubba, it's your turn. And so he got to cut daddy's hair right down the middle. The struggle was real. When it comes to parenting, the struggle is real. But after a decade in student ministry and after being a parent for four years, I've learned some things. And one of the things that I am more convinced of today than ever is that every parent wants to be the best. You want to be the best parent that you can be. And so we want to give our kids the world. We want to give them everything that they want, regardless of their age, regardless of their gender, girls, or boys, whether we are a really good parent or a really bad parent. Whatever it is, we want to be the best. For me, that's hard, though, because with my toddlers, we watch this. This is a picture of Ryan's world. And I don't know if you know Ryan's world. I hate Ryan's World. No one told me when I was in high school that all I had to do to be a millionaire was have children and buy those children every toy in the world and film them opening those toys. Like that's all you have to do. Ryan and his family are millionaires. And so my, parents, my kids watch Ryan's World and Ryan will get a toy. He'll open that toy and he'll play with it and he'll describe it. And my kids watch and then they look at me. Dad, I want that toy. Dad, I want that. Dad, can we go and do that? And on and on it goes. And in that moment, I want to give my kids anything they ask for. I want to do anything they ask for. I want to go anywhere that they want to go. When they grow up, you know, it's my goal to hopefully have some inheritance to give them. Maybe land to give them. Maybe stocks, some kind of money. I want to give my kids the world. Kerry Newhoff says this in his book, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity. Whenever we define a child's happiness as our ultimate goal, we settle for something far less significant than what God designed them for. The truth is that even though we want to be the best parent and we want to give our kids everything, and some of you can and some of us will, that most parents can't leave stocks, can't leave bonds, can't leave inheritance, but every parent will leave their child with a personal legacy. Every parent Will leave their child with a personal legacy. In fact, I want to make a bold statement. <laughs> what you do for your children is not as important as what you leave in your children. What you do for your children is not as important as what you leave in your children. In other words, it's not what you give them. It's not what we give them in money and toys and cars and clothes. It's what we teach them that is valuable. What character are you leaving? In your children? What character are you teaching your children? What values are you leaving with your children? Sometimes we become so preoccupied with giving our kids the best, the most, everything they ask for, that we forget the significance of leaving a personal legacy. What you do for your children is not as important as what you leave in your children. When it comes to being the best parent you can, here's a principle that I have adopted, and I think that it will help you and help us as we try to parent better. Imagine the end. Imagine the end. We've been in Deuteronomy 6 since the beginning of this series, and that's where I want to end today. As Kenny said, this is the Shema, and the Jewish children wouldn't have known this. The parents would have recited this verse to them each and every day, and it simply reads this, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up to love God and to teach our kids to love God, to love God and to teach our kids to love God. Moses is very clear that you as a parent, you as a parent are in the best possible position to be the best influence on your child, to teach them how to love God, to teach them how to love God with their heart, with their soul, with their mind. And this is not a command to add pressure on you because we all know that being a parent adds its own pressure. This command is to simply help you keep perspective. Is to help you imagine the end. And when we, as parents, imagine the end, it reminds us of a couple things. Truth number one, there are things that matter, and there are things that matter most. Close your eyes for me for a second. I want you to mentally fast forward to the end of your child's life. And that's a little bit sad to think about. But answer this question, who do you really want them to become? Who do I want Hudson to become? Who do I want Kaysen to become? Who do I want Dallin to become? As a parent, I think we we add so much pressure to us, right? Right now, you probably have pressure of, man, our kids are starting t-ball. Man, school has just started. Man, I got to get them in the best acting class, the best uh, uh, music class. I got to get them the best tutor so they can be the best. But when we focus more on how they hit a ball, on what score they're going to make on their SATs on what college that they're going to get into? I think we missed the point. In fact, what if we changed the question? Instead of asking who do I or excuse me, what do I want them to do? What if we ask who do I want them to become? And when we ask this, when we ask this question, who do I want them to become? Our per- our perspective changes. Our priorities shift. We place more value on teaching them the things that will shape their character and their relationship with God in a hundred years the only thing that will matter in your child's life is their relationship with God. Now that's good I'm gonna say it again that in a hundred years the only thing that will matter in your child's life is their relationship with God. because here's the truth that their relationship with God and their character will determine how they act, how they respond it will determine what kind of athlete they will be. Their relationship with God and their character will determine what kind of singer they will be. Their relationship with God and their character will determine what kind of grades they'll make at school, how hard they will try. It will determine what kind of parents they will be in the future. As we imagine the end, it helps us distinguish between what matters and what matters most. When we imagine the end, it also reminds us of this truth, that your child was made on purpose, for a purpose. Your child was made on purpose, for a purpose. In student ministry, one of the cringiest things that I hear when talking to students about their family is this statement here. A student will be telling me about their mom and dad and their brothers and sisters, and they'll say, I was a mistake. I was was a mistake. And I simply want to tell them, no, you are not a mistake. Your parents knew what making a child was. Like they, they knew what they were doing. You are not a mistake. You might not have been planned, but here is the truth. Your student was planned by God, by their heavenly father. Your child is not a mistake. And maybe there's some of you who aren't parents. You don't have kids. You're not even thinking of kids. And you need to hear this. You are not a a mistake. In fact, I love the way King David puts this in Psalms 139. He writes about his relationship with God, and he says this, You have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my goings out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. How does God know this? David responds a little further down in verse 13, and David says, For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your child is not a mistake. God formed your child. God knows your child. In fact, Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, he writes this beautiful kind of poetic statement of what it means to follow Jesus. And he ends it here in verse 10. He says this, For we are His, talking about God, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That Greek word there is poema, for workmanship. It literally means that we are God's poem. We are His artistic creation. We are His, in another translation it says, we are His masterpiece. Your child was not a mistake, Your child was made on purpose. And maybe you didn't plan for their child, your child to be here, but God planned for your child to be here before the foundation of the world. God knew you and he knew your child. And the second part of this statement is just as important. Your child was made on purpose for a purpose. In fact, Paul goes on and finishes in verse 10. He says this, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good work, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What is the purpose that your child was created? What's the purpose that you were created? To do good, to walk in these good works that God has prepared beforehand for you. And every student is different. Every child is different. All of us are different. And so God has prepared good works that you should walk in that are going to be different than the good works I walk in. He reminds us of this author scripture. I love it. If you look at Jeremiah's life, God tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1 that I knew you in your mother's womb and I prepared a plan for you that you would be my prophet to the world. You remember that guy, Samson, long flowing hair, really, really strong? You remember him from Bible school? Samson uh, had a plan. In fact, God tells his mother, right now, you are childless, but I have a plan for your child that he will be set apart and he will deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Do you remember the guy named John the Baptist? Well, an angel of the Lord comes to John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, and tells him, Hey, the Lord has something planned for your son. In fact, your son will prepare the way for Jesus. God has plans for your child. He's met, your children are made on purpose for a, church, a purpose. This is how we like to say in student ministry, that every child is made in the image of God. Every child is made in the image of God. And if every child is made in the image of God, the second part of this is true, that every child is made in the, in, in the image of God, that they have great potential for great things. That because your child was made in the image of God, we know this, Genesis 2, God formed us in His image. That they have great potential to do great things when we imagine the end as parents. It reminds us that there are things that matter, but there are things that matter most. It reminds us that your children were made on purpose, for a purpose. How do we do this? I don't know about you, but... (laughs) When it comes to being a parent, I don't know if there was a switch that that got switched inside my head and my brain, but the day I became a parent, I became emotional. So emotional. I cry at everything. Watching Disney Plus is a no-go for me, right? Other day, we were sitting on the couch, and we were watching Tarzan, and Phil Collins just comes on and starts singing, you'll be in my heart, and I'm telling you, tears or flowing down my face. I have become emotional wreck. So this part might be hard for you. How do we apply this to our lives? When we imagine the end, how do we make it practical? Because we have to make it practical. It can't just be these goals that we have set. We have to be intentional. In fact, one of my favorite pastors says it this way, direction, not just our intention, our steps that we are taking will determine our destination. And so maybe for a second, you need to go grab your tissues because we need to make it practical. If we want to imagine the end, we need to make it practical. And so I'm gonna give you four ways to make it practical. Number one, study your child. Study your children. Find out what makes them tick. What do they like to do? What do they not like to do? What do they like to eat? What don't they like to eat? Are they musical? Are they athletic? Are they full of energy? Are they, are they laid back? In other words, tell me what you're working with. Tell me what you're working with. Do you know your child? When we better understand our kids and our students, we will better understand how to lead and how to parent them. In fact, if we go to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, the wise King Solomon writes this for us. Train up your child in the way that he or she should go. Even when he... Or she is old, he will not depart from it." I love the Hebrew word here, to train up. It literally means to dedicate time. Dedicate your time to training, to teaching, to giving wisdom to your child and the way that they should go. And the way that they should go, each child is different. I'm different, you're different. Our students have a natural bent to how they learn, how they see life, to how they experience things when we tr- study our children when we study our ch- our our students and learn how they learn we will be better prepared to teach them the things teach them how to love God with their heart with their mind with their soul so does your kid love comic books does your kid love playing video games is your kid athletic and love being out on the football field or on the court study your students The second thing to how to make this practical and bring it down to earth for us is this. You need to answer this question. What do I want them to leave with? What do I want them to leave with? Imagining the end is about focusing our priorities on what matters most. So what matters most? What do you want your student and your children to leave with? What are your family values? What's important to you? Here inside of our family ministry, we have three different areas. Our our, uh, preschool area, which is called Tiny Town, our elementary school area is called Bridge, Bridge Kids, and our student environment, which is called Takeover. And we have values that we want your students to leave with. In fact, our Tiny Town environment, we tried to teach our students that God made me, that God loves me, that Jesus wants to be my friend, When they leave Tiny Town, we want them to know those values. And when they enter into Bridge Kids, we want them to know that I should treat others the way I want to be treated. That I can trust God no matter what. That I need to make the wise choice. And when they come into student ministry, our goal is that by the time they graduate and they head to college, they head to the military, they head into the workforce, that they would know these truths. That I am created to pursue an authentic relationship with God. I belong to Jesus. I'm defined by who he says I am. I exist to demonstrate God's love to the world. What's that for you? What are your values? What do you want your children to leave with? For some of you, you can add to or take away. When I think of this this practical way of instilling values into our students I can't help but think of one of my interns a couple of months ago her name was Olivia and she was here and she was an amazing worker one day she comes in and she has this tattoo on her arm. And I was like, Oh, well, tell me the story behind that tattoo. Like, what does it mean? And she told me the story that when she was a girl and when she was going through school, every day that she was dropped off at school or dropped off at cheer practice or dropped off at a friend's house, that her parents and her dad would, would tell her this truth. Olivia, others first. Others first. When it comes to living this thing we called life, One of the values that her parents wanted her to understand is that others come first. Not that they are better than you, not that they're more important, but as Christians, as Jesus followers, we are to love God and to love others. So Olivia, in your daily walk, put others first. This became so ingrained in her mind. This became who she was. And she wanted to remind herself each and every day that this was a value that she built her, her life upon. And so she got it tattooed on her arm, others first. Now, the coolest part about this story is not only are this the words that her father and her mother would say to her each and every day, she got her dad to write it in his own handwriting, and it was tattooed in his handwriting on her arm. Others first. What values are your students walking away with? What values do you want them to leave with? Number three, how do we make this practical? Well, when you pray for your child, cast vision. Did you catch that? When. Not if you pray for your child, but when you pray for your child, cast vision. I I love this because it is such a practical thing because the truth is you don't know what the future holds for your children. I don't know what the future holds for my children, but I know the values and I know the person and character I want them to be. And so when you pray for your students, whether it's in the morning when you drop them off at school, whether it's at night before they go to sleep, would you paint a picture with your words of what you want their life to be, what you want their life to look at? Maybe for you, it's as simple as using this example. In fact, you can see it on the screen. It says this. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you knew Hudson in the womb. And even sooner, thank you for designing uh, designing and declaring a marvelous plan for his life. I want to be able to see Kaysen the way you do, Lord. Please show me the unique characteristics you have woven into Kaysen's personality. Help me to encourage and pray for him according to his natural bent, I pray that Dallin would walk closer to you, being led by you and fulfilling your original design in every area of his life. When you pray for your child, cast vision. Don't pray about the professional that you want them to be, but pray about the certain person you want them to become. The last thing that I think we can do to make this practical when we think about imagining the end is remind yourself of the time that you have left. Time is running out. Time is running out. So remind yourself of the time that you have left. In my family, we use marbles. And maybe you've seen this before, but simply, we take marbles. And, and one marble, one marble illustrates one week of our kids' lives. In fact, by the time your, your student is born, your, your child is born, you have 936 weeks with your child. So every week, we go to our marble bucket. After a week has passed on Saturday night, we'll take a marble, and we'll put that marble somewhere else. And over time, it reminds us that by the time they reach fourth grade, that they only have 468 weeks with us, 468 weeks left. By the time they hit ninth grade, by the time they hit high school, we only have 200 and eight weeks left. This reminds me of the time that I have left. It reminds me to keep the right perspective, to imagine the end. Whatever season your student is in right now, whether they're a toddler, whether they are starting elementary school, whether they are starting high school, whether they're a senior in high school, imagine the end. Remind yourself the time that you have left. Another way you can do this is by downloading this app. You can see it on the screen. It's called The Parenting Queue, And I love this app because sometimes I don't want to go grab a marble, or I forget. And this app is at my fingertips. And it reminds me, as you can see with my kids, Hudson, and Kaysen, and Dallin, of the weeks that I have left. And in those weeks, it gives me resources and ideas of how to imagine the end with them, of the values that I want to teach them. When it comes to imagining the end, remind yourself of the time that you have left. And so, I have some homework for you. Are you ready? A homework for you. What type of person do you want your child to grow up to be? You need to answer that. I can't answer it for you, and you can't answer it for me. But what type of person do you want your child to be? What matters most to you and your family? Spend some time over the next week thinking about this. Praying about this, talking to your spouse about this question, who do we want our children to be? Number two, when you're ready, write down your answers and share them with your children. Write down your answers and share them with your children. This is who I want you to be. This is the values that I want you to have. Then consider, how do we get there? If this is who I want them to be, how do I get there? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. When it comes to parenting, the struggle is real. But I believe, here at The Bridge, we believe that if we make it personal, if we make our relationship with God personal, that that's a great first start. When we widen the circle, when we realize that we are the biggest influence in our student's life, but we're not the only influence in our student's life. And we partner with others to influence our students. When we create a rhythm, but when we wake up, we're teaching them the things of the Lord. When they go to bed, we're teaching them the things of the Lord. When we're traveling, when we create a rhythm in our life, when we fight for our children's heart, not fight against, but fight for them. And when we imagine the end, I believe, as parents, we will win. And we will win in more ways than one. Parents, you are the greatest influence in your student's life. You are the greatest influence in your children's life. What will you do with that influence?